To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. Welcome, everybody, and here we are. 100.5 FM Cop Radio. I'm Ruggiero, your host. I can't wait to just head dive right into it because today, everybody, please raise your hands. We have an incredible guest uh, representing uh, his incredible film, Haida Modern, screening at VIF. Friday, October 11th at 3 p.m. Everybody, please raise your hands for Charles Wilkinson. How are you doing, Charles? Morning, Ruggiero. How are you? Uh, I, I just feel uh, super happy to look out there and see the rain in Vancouver and we can bring the sound from the booth out here at Ready? What do you think about that? I think that's great. Yeah, we need some rain. The trees are, are in bad way right now. Absolutely. You can say it out loud twice, three times. Yeah. Now, <laughs> let me ask you, Charles, so happy to have you here and talk even about your own career uh, sure. and trajectory as a filmmaker. Yeah. But first things first, for the people who don't know you yet, who is Charles Wilkinson? I ask myself that sometimes. I'm a filmmaker. I've been making films and, and working in television since I was six. Um, I've spent most of my life out here. I've directed, I don't know, five or six dramatic feature movies, a whole bunch of American television movies, a bunch of um, episodic, um, you know, like The Highlander, and I did all that stuff. I could even tell you where he keeps his sword, but then I'd have to kill you. Uh, and, and in the last uh, 10 years, I've been making feature documentaries, mostly with a sort of environmental theme and, and very much social, um, social justice oriented. Wonderful. And uh, I can't wait to also get into the details of the whole process and exploring what it means to be a filmmaker sure. uh, nowadays uh, with such a quick and fast evolving process, you know, uh, distribution and production, everything changes so quickly. It's changed um, a lot, yeah. Now, I see Haida Modern, the art and activism of Robert Davidson. Yeah. How did you get the chance to meet Robert? Well, uh, our not our last feature, but the one before that was called Haida Gwaii on the Edge of the World. And it was very, very successful. It did really remarkably well all, all across Canada. It was the highest grossing Canadian film per screen for like two months in the fall of that year, which is remarkable for a documentary, especially one that's not very high budget, an independent film. And during the process of making that film, we met Robert's son, Ben, over on Haida Gwaii, which is an amazing place. And we also met Robert through that and Robert allowed us to use some of his uh, his art in our film and he just struck me from day one as about the coolest guy ever and so um, when I started to realize I mean I've been an admirer of his art my, my whole adult life when I started to realize that his values in the activism that he has but also in, in the art that he does really reflect what I believe in and, and, and a worldview that I think is critical for the survival of the species then it just seemed like something we ought to do Mm, there seems to be a really good connection there and the Pretty angle much. of the film is also a very different angle there seems to be a lot of positivity yeah. and a lot of light coming from this story yeah very much so I mean it was funny the first time that I interviewed Robert um, the first thing he said was okay but first of all nothing negative 
I thought that was super interesting. And so, you know, so many of the films that are that feature Indigenous people, and I should be clear, I'm not, I'm white. Uh, so many of the people who have films that feature Indigenous people and stories uh, are necessarily very dark because the, are, you know, the relations between white and Indigenous people have been horrific and continue to be, you know, really way less than ideal. A lot of work to do there. But um, this movie isn't that. This movie is about somebody who's extremely positive and very, very, very successful. He's a world-famous artist. He came from the same disadvantaged background, and he's had to overcome horrific obstacles, but he has, and he's done it with, with a positive, light heart. And he's, he's really created such an impact on, first of all, his own nation. He really sparked the revival of, of Indigenous culture on the North Coast and, and here now down throughout the rest of the of the province and the country, really, but also the, the, that revival has moved a lot of indigenous worldview into mainstream worldview. And so we're so much influenced by the thinking now of our indigenous brothers and sisters. And you can't go anywhere on the coast without bumping into indigenous art, whether you're wearing it on your t-shirt or on your on your jewelry or you see it on a wall or, or, or the, the leaders of the so critical protest movements that are trying to save us from the idiotic bullshit that, we're, that we just keep doing, you know? Wow, Charles, thank you so much for that. I really appreciate uh, that good energy and that approach and I think it's very much needed and that's why there's been such a great response with a sold out show and 700 seats yeah. at the Vancouver Playhouse that's pretty insane I have to tell you I can't wait to watch the film on, on Friday the 11th yeah. uh, 3pm it's going to be great are you going to be there? yeah of course and Robert is too and, and that was the thing let me tell you uh, you know like you, first of all when you make a movie you never really know you just don't know if it's going to work or not sometimes <laughs> you have a feeling but you don't really know until you get it in front of an audience and so I was saying to my, my partner and the producer Tina Schlissler I said to Tina you know, I'm going to know 10 minutes in whether this movie's going to play or not. And so we got there, and we're sitting, waiting for, you know, just be, for them to make the announcements before the movie starts. And Curtis, uh, the, the VIF announcer, said, uh, the programmer, said, uh, welcome, da-da-da-da-da. And then said, you know, Robert Davidson is here. Well, he almost got a standing ovation right there and then, before the movie started. And so I turned to Tina and said, I think we're okay. <laughs> we're going to awesome. be fine here. <laughs> That's awesome. He's, he's beloved. He he is. He's 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 an absolute national treasure, and it just he's got the best vibe. People love just listening to him talk. And it's quite a trajectory, the process and the career also that you had in coming and arriving here and telling this wonderful story in this yeah. way. Uh, it's very empowering and I'm very inspired by that. That's uh, quite impressive. Thank I you. can't wait to actually head dive right into the dynamics of your own career and the process of making that happen. Uh, but before that, we're going to take a quick break sure, yeah. and uh, just catch a little breath. And uh, we have uh, Bossa Nova here today. So everybody, this is uh, uh, Jay Dilla with uh, Rico Suave Bossa Nova. Enjoy. La 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 
back everybody this is room tone the radio show and here we are 100.5 fm cop radio i can't wait to just head dive right into it today everybody raise your hands for charles wilkinson charles bossa nova what's your relationship with that Oh, I just love it. I, I mean, I remember Blame It on the Bossa Nova, the dance of love, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I'm so happy to have you here representing Haida Modern, the art and activism of Robert Davidson. I'm so happy that the world premiere went so well, too, at VIF. Uh, what an incredible energy that VIF is bringing to the city, huh? Yeah, no kidding. VIF is amazing. Uh, it just makes our city so cool. It's a great festival. Absolutely. And I know that there is a lot of uh, competition between East and West with TIFF <laughs> and VIF. What's your experience with that? Well, I guess some people say that. And I mean, you know, a lot of people say, oh, Toronto, you know, and they badmouth it. I love Toronto. We go there. Toronto's been so kind to us. Hot Docs has just been great with all, all of our pictures. Um, I, I think that it's really overblown, this competition between Toronto and Vancouver. Sometimes when our production numbers go up in Hollywood North and there's dip down a little bit, then there's a little bit of sort of bitterness that you know we get a lot of work out here but um generally speaking i think tiff serves a completely different market than vif does you know tiff is very um world festival hollywood centric you know they they premieres of big hollywood pictures and big foreign films whereas vif doesn't do that vif is much more centered on on canadian films and also well especially canadian films but then international cinema so um I kind of really dig Viff's approach because we can see the American films in the in the commercial cinema. Mm, that's a really good point there. I'm so excited to hear about this because I want to see your point of view on the trajectory of films and filmmaking. And where do you see it going also with this fluid distribution model? And, and they're all coming to life so quickly. Where do you see it in 10 years from now? Well, uh, you know, 10 years ago, self-distribution was, you know, really impossible. Today, most independents self-distribute. Um, certainly we do, and it's worked out very, very well for us. Um, it, it, because the world has become so connected, it's not hard to find the buyers for the films. And they look at a screener, they either like it or don't. If they do, they'll buy it, right? Likewise at the festivals. I mean, you don't need a, a distributor to go to a festival. So that's really cool. And, and also, the advent of lightweight, inexpensive equipment has really democratized the process. You know, almost anyone can make a film now, and if it's good, it will be seen. Almost anyone can make a film now, but who of those can actually sell the film and uh, create some revenue from it? That's a hundred dollar, that's a million dollar question right there. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, but you know, I, I know there are many opinions on the subject, uh, and this is just mine, but my experience has been that 
many people say, oh, you know, you can make a film, but, you know, to get it distributed and screened and stuff is impossible. That hasn't been my experience at all. If you got what it takes, people will take what you got. Mmm, look at that. Woo, we're going to turn that into a quote right there, huh? I no, love but, the sound of that. But it's really true. I mean, all distributors want to do is find the Blair Witch Project. They want to find a, a movie that costs nothing, that you made with your mom's cell phone, and it'll turn into the next Easy Rider <laughs> or something, right? They, it's not like they're, go, they're, they're gatekeepers or something. All those guys want to do is get rich from your brilliance. So, mm. you know, yes, you have to work hard to just get it to people's attention, but that just takes diligence. And now, like I say, with how connected the world is, it's not that hard to... to get the attention you know uh -huh. there's this there's this impression that if only I could get Robert De Niro to read my script then I'd be famous well realistically if you have a good script people will recognize that and it will automatically get bumped up the line Hollywood is desperate for good scripts mm -hmm. alright that's a bait thrown out there to writers huh? I <laughs> totally. love it I love the sound of that and it's so don't true. escape the domain and the landscape of film distribution uh, we're so curious as filmmakers of finding the way to get our voice out there and still find that revenue what's your experience with that where do you find that that's the right angle to make that happen well my experience is is specific to the kind of work that I do and it doesn't really apply to everyone because I've been doing this for so long and because I'm a very technical person I've really myself and my partner have learned for basically all of the technical disciplines that there are so we can do pretty much everything so whereas I used to make movies for quite a bit of money with the big white trucks and all that now I mean our crew is often two people so that changes the way that you work and it allows you to make movies for a lot less money that coupled with this new and relatively inexpensive equipment but um, the, the, the bottom line still always is the quality of your idea and the execution of it if you have a really good idea and you execute it reasonably well people will come to see it what my experience has been is that we now over the last 10 years have been doing these uh, environmental and social uh, justice documentaries and they've been going through the film festival route and then to television and because they've been relatively inexpensive they've not been hard to finance at all you know the first one it was a bit of a conversation but it did well so then what the broadcasters want to see is movies that their audiences like so if you do one then suddenly they're a lot more inclined to help you to do the next one mm. but you know our movies are inexpensive enough that you know the festival receipts combined with the broadcast receipts they generally break even or do better and and that's very unusual for Canadian films so do you believe that the way to go is actually getting in touch with broadcasters or there is an angle also in direct distributions with theater well uh, uh, here in Vancouver, and that's where, where, where we're talking to, there are a number of, of broadcasters who are very interested in independent cinema. The biggest one, in my view, and by far the best one, is Knowledge Network. Mm. And Knowledge Network is always open to taking, to taking pitches. I hope Rudy doesn't kill me for this, but um, <laughs> they, they're very, very receptive, and they really... Uh, they support so much independent cinema and their movies consistently do so so well at, at festivals both here and abroad so that's one but I mean there's there's a number of, of outlets what you have to look at the, the way I always do it is I do it in reverse I always start with what are people paying to see how can I make that right mm, that's so, a really smart approach and uh, probably that's something that 
um, might some filmmakers might call compromise? Oh, not not at all. I, I I don't think it's a compromise. I mean, I want to work, and I have I have things to say. And every movie that I make is really a sincere expression of my worldview. But I always I also feel that if nobody's watching, then what's kind of the point? So you know, people often talk about if only I could get money to to make my statement, and I, I really sympathize with that. But I think that if you think about a conversation, like you sit down with somebody, like you and I are in this room right now, do I just want to spew out what I have in my head and not listen to or watch you and how you react to it? No. I want to see that you're receptive to what I'm saying and that you're interested in it and that you appreciate it. That's what I mean by looking to see what people are watching. Mm. You know, when I go to the film festivals and I see everybody goes to to a movie about such and such a thing, or they 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 treat their audience in this way, I, I think there's something to learn there. Mm. Right? I see what you mean. Almost like uh, thinking uh, like a chess grandmaster, thinking from the reverse. You know, <laughs> st starting from the end game and then going all the way back. Yeah. And that's where the next question actually comes to rise because uh, I'm very curious to hear about the extent of the strategy. How far do you take your strategy as a filmmaker and how much do you get to follow your heart? Well, I've been incredibly lucky doing these point of view documentaries that I've got to follow my heart really 100%. We've experienced no interference at the creative level from anyone. Whatever I want to put in these movies, whatever Tina and our wonderful executive producer Kevin Eastwood wants to put in these, we, we do that, right? But back when I did drama, Uh, okay, when I wrote and, and, and directed feature, feature movies of my own, I could do whatever I wanted, but with, within limitations. But when I did movies for the U.S. networks or, or episodic or, or, or all of that, you'd be amazed how little power the director has. Mm. You know, I'm basically directing traffic is what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> like a gun for hire in a way. Oh, huh? that's exactly what it was, yeah. Mm. And I mean, I was good at it, you know, and I love people. I love working with crews and, and with actors especially. It's just, it's such a joy. But in terms of influencing the content, you shade it. But I mean, the script is what it is. You can't take something that's, you know, a violent drug movie and turn it into a musical. It's just, <laughs> you don't have that power. <laughs> Most definitely. Wow. Um, but what was the journey for you to actually get to be part of that community and that industry? Um, well, I didn't come from an affluent background. You know, my family didn't have money or anything like that. Um, and as I was saying earlier before we broadcast, I was a hippie for 10 years. <laughs> and so that didn't leave me real well off, I got to tell you. <laughs> you don't make a lot of money for that kind of work. But um, I, no, I went to a, a film show, student films, just randomly at Simon Fraser University. And I saw that these guys who were like younger than me, and they seemed kind of like me, were making movies. And, and I was just so inspired by that. And so I, I hadn't finished high school. I think I quit in grade 10. So I, I talked to SFU into letting me in as a mature student. Why they did, I have no idea. I'm sure they regret it to this day. <laughs> and, and, and so I went to the film school there, and I went there for three years, and I learned how to use the equipment. I got exposed to world cinema, like Pier Paolo Pasolini and mm. Eisenstein and guys like that, which, you know, I really had no knowledge of. So I became somewhat semi-literate. But most importantly, I made a lot of friends. Like my brother-in-law, like I met my, my, partner, my life partner at film school. And, you know, and that's a long time ago. But I still work with many of the people that I, I, I went to film school with. And so then from that step up, it was, you know, I was just like you. I can see how motivated that you are to do this work. I just started charging away at it like a bull in a china shop. It's purpose, you know, it's yeah. purpose. And when you feel that fire, you just got to go for it. You Absolutely, know? It's, it's, yes. It's just something else. And we can 
talk about, for example, the meaning of life forever because it's a symbolic value, but the purpose yeah. it comes from the sky. It just showers your soul and it drives you there and you yeah. cannot say no. You just cannot and that's a gift. No, I see it as a gift. No, I think you're absolutely right. But also, I think it's really fair to and, and important to, to mention that I come from an entertainment background. Like I, I was doing um, a variety show, first radio and then television, for like, I don't know, six, eight years when I was a child. And so I grew up entertaining audiences, looking at an audience and seeing what they, what they when I did this, how they responded. When I did that, how they responded. And I, I really, I, I mean, I, like I said, I love people and I love making them feel something and 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 so that's been my approach to film i'll sit in an audience and if people laugh at something that i thought was funny it's just like manna falling from heaven i'm so so glad that 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 i've managed to engage all of these people you know i can see the gratitude and i can see the the purpose as well as the trajectory Yes. And that's something that I really want to touch base on because I see a great trajectory with your filmography, your film career, and everything that you've been doing. And it's so inspiring to see that happen. And so many filmmakers out there uh, are inspired by what you do and how you do it. Because the way you do it is as important or even more important than what you do at the end of the day. And on that note, what is your piece of advice to filmmakers out there who are trying to get their voices out there? I think... I, I, I want to be really positive here because I generally tend to be pretty positive. I think, though, that it's really important to to set a kind of a, a limitation on your trajectory. Like, many people are drawn to this business because, you know, a film director is seen as sort of a cultural samurai warrior, and, and there's a lot of uh, mythology surrounding it, and almost all of it is false. The job isn't glamorous, and it's not very well paid. You know, you could I could have been a dentist, and I'd have <laughs> a lot more money. Uh, but, but, but I think that... It, I don't know anyone who's a successful filmmaker, and by successful I just mean who gets to work, because that's my definition of success in that. I don't know one who isn't compelled to do it. I don't do it because I want to. I do it because I have to. I have to. And I can see that about you as well, that, that you, you've got all this stuff bubbling up inside of you and you just <laughs> got to get it out. You know, um, I think that people who want to become uh, a, a great, you know, Quentin Tarantino or Guy Ritchie or something like that, I'm not sure that that's a very good motivation. If you love the work... And if you find that when you do, when you make a film, because everybody can make a film now, everybody's got a camera, uh, if you find that people are responding to it and saying, man, that's great. Like, I have a piece of advice that someone gave me way back in the day that, that has served me amazingly well, and I think it, it, it could serve other people well as well. And that is that when you get an idea for a movie, there's a test I like to call the bus test. Like, I ride the bus all the time. I love transit <laughs> most of the time. I don't know, <laughs> most of the time. But anyway, the bus test is, is you're sitting on a bus and you strike up a conversation with somebody, they ask you what you do, and you say, well, you know, I want to be a filmmaker, I am a filmmaker, whatever. They say, oh, yeah, what are you working on? You say, okay, I got this idea, do you mind if I bounce it off you? And they go, no, no, tell me, what's your idea? Okay, okay, there's this guy, and he's, like, living with his roommate, and, and, and his girlfriend doesn't like the roommate, and so, like, they fight all the time, and what do you think? And the guy <laughs> will go, yeah, that sounds great and, <laughs> and you can see in his eyes that like he thinks it's a piece of shit right <laughs> and you know what you pay attention to that guy if he says man that is the coolest idea I've ever heard tell me more like if you can't excite people with your idea then you're either pitching it wrong or you haven't worked it out yet right working it out is not something you do after the cameras start to roll you need to know what you're doing 
right? It's an expensive craft, and you don't get many kicks at the can. If you screw up two or three times, you're never going to work. You're probably not going to work again, or it'll be much harder. But you should be able to inspire the people around you, strangers, with your ideas. And if you can't, then making them into a movie is not going to make them any better. <laughs> I see a lot of that. Uh, uh, I see a lot of that um, research. From you, coming yes. from you, what's the right idea and how to tell it in the proper way? And yeah. I'm so uh, curious to explore the process of the medium, because uh, with a, such a well-rounded personality like yourselves, coming from so many different angles, uh, when do you choose to tell a story through film, or when do you tell to, to tell a, when do you choose to tell a story maybe through, let's say, a book rather than a song, rather than a dance or anything else? That is such a great question, and you know what? People don't ask that question often enough. That is an amazingly intuitive question. There are some ideas that belong as a poem. There are some that belong as a short story and some as a novella and some as a live performance and others as a documentary and others as a drama or some combination because the combinations now are, are almost infinite. And I, I tend to think in very visual terms and so most of the ideas that I have are about movies. You know, my life has been influenced just so much by the great movies that I've seen and they've inspired me. Most of my role models in life have come from movies. So when, when I get an idea for a movie, almost all my ideas for movies are stupid. No, they are, you know, <laughs> like I'll, I'll, I'll go to Germany and I'll see Berlin, like this is back in the day, you see Berlin, the Berlin Wall, I'll go, hey, I want to make a movie about this. And then you go, no, but what do you want to make a movie about? And that's the thing that I find is really common with, with people who bounce ideas for movies off me. And this is, I think, also good advice for young filmmakers, is that most of the ideas that people have for movies aren't stories, they're, they're subjects. I want to make a movie about the downtown east side. That's not a story. That's a subject. What's your story? Okay, I know this guy who used to be the president of the Royal Bank of Canada, and now he's living on the street, but he's making this enormous effort to clean up, and he's got this thing that's going to happen next month where he just might, you know, get this amazing chance to rebuild his life. That's a story. Oh, that's a great point right there. Really resonates, yeah. really rings a bell, and yeah. speaks to the power of the cycle, yeah. of the arc in the yeah. story. And sculpting totally. that uh, also with your experience, in, uh, in narrative um, what do you see the, the main difference in sculpting that arc in documentaries and fiction to be honest I don't see there's any difference mm. you know I'll tell you an interesting story um, I, I was mentioning before we went on the air that I made a film down here and it's called down here about 10 years ago about the downtown east side and it was my first documentary since the very beginning of my career I was working steadily in drama well one evening while I'd been working down here filming um, a, a good friend of mine Brian McNamara who's a Hollywood actor that I've worked with quite a few times he was in town shooting Superman or something and he was staying with us because he's just such a good friend I, I really love Brian and so Brian said what are you working on and I told him and he said well can I see some of it and I went nah it's just documentary you want to <laughs> see it right and it, all I had shot that day was an interview with one of the women that I was working with uh, who became a very dear friend and she said no show me show me show me so I I put it up and I let him see maybe 20 minutes of, of interview and I looked over at Brian and, and he was crying and he said to me man you and I have worked together for years that's the best performance you've ever directed and, and I said no but I, I didn't direct that. that that's a real person telling their story and he said that's the best performance I've ever seen you associated with he said Meryl Streep on her best day couldn't do that <laughs> wow and, and that resonated with me like crazy because when you talk to people real people and you really find a way into their heart 
the the stories they tell you, the truth that comes out of their eyes, you can't replicate that in in drama, but you try to. And I find that, interestingly enough, because somebody asked me this the other day, I find that when I'm working in documentary, I'll see things that people say to me that are not true. I don't mean that they're lying. I mean they're intentionally lying. But I just mean that they're not heartfelt. It's some kind of line that they're telling themselves or they think I want to hear it or they think they should say it or something. But, you know, the camera does not lie. It's a very perceptive device. And you sit there and post and you go, this isn't real. This person is fronting or or, or it's just not real. What are they really trying to say? Mm. Where's their heart in this? So in a sense, and that's what I meant about there being no difference, the way I edit drama and the way I edit documentary is the same. You look for the truest, most most lucid performance and that's what's in the movie mm, so when you say that it feels like there is a wall an invisible wall in between and that's where it gets tricky for us as documentary filmmakers yeah. to utilize the heat of the camera uh, not as a perforative heat but to turn it into the warmth of a hug that empowers and gives a voice to the people who need that amplification and, and it, it becomes such a powerful tool right to bring people in a room yeah. and utilize the perception of the camera and even the perception of ourselves as filmmakers and yeah. that's where I want to go because in, in your film Hide a Modern on a, uh, you know playing at the at the playhouse why wow, you already did a sold out with 700 seats yeah. that's incredible but on friday the 11th at 3 p.m uh, i can't wait to explore uh, a little bit of that film because through the trailer i could already see that perception that level of perception and care even uh that surrounds every single aspect of this story yeah. to that to that note how did you train your perception how do you mean I'm just really curious to hear from you. How did you get the, the opportunity to craft and, and train your perception to make films like this? Well, you, you come up with an idea, and in this case it was pretty clear that this was the story of this great world artist, and then you go, that's a subject. It, I mean, yes, a biopic is the person's life story if you want to do that, but just to tell the linear life story of somebody as a general rule is, is often not very very engaging for an audience so what does this person's life mean what what do they mean and so my i think to 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 try to answer your question what my focus is when i'm talking to someone when i'm interviewing someone is i'm listening to what they're saying i don't come in with a list of questions i have a general idea of where we want to go in the conversation but it is just that it's like you and i sitting here right now I'm listening to what they're saying and I'm trying to discern what it is they're really trying to say because I think very few people, myself included, really express themselves perfectly when they talk. You you say stuff and you're trying to get at a point and you're just not very accurate and you, you feel like it's not even your first language. Well, so I feel that that's my job to hear what their truth is, what they really mean, and then in, through the process of editing, for example, to find that, to find what it is that they really meant. And, and that becomes the best of them. Because unlike reality television, which I loathe, I, I absolutely despise <laughs> reality television. I think it's a cancer. It's a virus. Um, just in case I'm not being clear enough. I, <laughs> um, uh, where they're always trying for a gotcha moment. They're always trying to make people look as bad as they possibly can. Just, I mean, it, reality television is what they used to call a geek show, which would give people who are very low social standing someone to look down on. That's what, to me, reality Ooh. television is. Exactly. It makes me feel better that somebody acts badly. No, it doesn't. It makes me feel worse for humanity, right? 
right? But conversely, I think that good storytellers and certainly good documentarians do the exact opposite. They try to look for the best in a person. What is it that this person really means? How can I like reach inside and find the, that sort of platonic ideal of what they really mean? You know, like what is the eunice of you and 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 explore that because that's beautiful that's not ugly that's beautiful because inside of every person there's there's a, something very very beautiful there's something divine inside of everyone so why would you want to pick at the scabs wow how follow up that it's so beautiful to see how deep we can dive right and you yeah, have, yeah. with these conversations we can dive so deep with that oxygen mask and we gotta be careful not to lose that oxygen mask in you because we can go really really deep way too deep yeah. um, and I hear you talking about uh, the necessity to discover the light in every human being uh, but I also believe that there is some fascination in the shadow because it's only through our own shadow that we can get to understand where the light is coming from there is a beautiful quote from Jung that said Um, if you want the branches of your tree to grow all the way to heaven, your roots need to be able to reach all the way down to hell. I'm so curious to hear Ooh. your thoughts about that. That's really, I, I know I can ask you something like this, and that's why I ask that's it. That's a great quote. What I find is, is that if you do engage in, in, and this applies to both drama, in my experience, and documentary, if you are a real person, if you're sincere and genuine with the people that you work with, and you develop a, 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 a component of trust, that they will go there. They will go to those dark places if it's an important part of the story. Like, you know, so many interviewers will, will try and make somebody cry because it's apparently good television. So they'll do whatever they can. They'll say, so, have you ever had a miscarriage, you know, or have you ever had a kid who died or something? Just to try and get you to feel that kind of emotion. I, I, I think that that's reprehensible. I would never do that. Um, I, I think where, where it comes naturally is if somebody's talking and they just, they amble into it. They start to realize in the conversation, well, you know, I never really got along with my mother, and now that she's gone, I'm really sorry because I really didn't give her the benefit of the doubt. You start going down that path, and it gets dark, but it gets dark in an organic way, and hopefully we can find our way out the other side because, after all, here we sit, we're alive. You know, we're making the best of what is sometimes not a very good situation, but that's where the light leads us. But, um, of course, everybody's got darkness to them. You do, mm. I do, right? And you're right that that darkness is drama. Right? That's what drama is, is darkness, right? But but to impose it, to go looking for it, to go digging for it, mm, I just... Um There seems to be the need and the necessity of an authentic approach yep. to really make the film happen. And I really stand for that authenticity and the, sponta the spontaneity of life. Because life happens in a spontaneous way. Absolutely. And if we go the other way, then uh, we are doing a disservice to life and all the beauty that it has to offer. Yep. And on that note, I think we're going to actually have to take a break yeah, with this be beautiful, spontaneous <laughs> track. Everybody, come on. Uh, you guys know this track. And if you don't, oh my goodness, take a trip to Brazil. Everybody enjoy. This is Sergio Mendes with Mashkenada. Catch you later.
Cante que eu quero passar Pois o samba está animado O que eu quero é samba Este samba que é misto de maracatu Welcome back, everybody. Here we are, Room Tone, the radio show, 100.5 FM Cop Radio. I'm Ruggiero, your host. That was, of course, Masquenada with Sergio Mendes. So happy to be here in the booth, enjoying the good vibes with Charles Wilkinson. What an incredible filmmaker and human being. Getting to chat with him uh, for the past 40 minutes has been a pleasure. Really, really, really deep. Going really deep. It's been 40 minutes. Yes, we're looking at the clock, and I couldn't even believe that. Charles, how are you doing? I'm doing just great. How are you? I'm feeling great. I'm so happy to be here. I'm just grateful for the moment. And we're approaching the end of the episode. Before we just get into our activities and the one-minute pitch for you, I'm so curious to hear your pitch. Um, I actually want to shout out again to the great work that you've been doing with Haida Modern. Thank you. I mean, the world premiere at VIF, uh, they've had on, on, uh, on Tuesday, you know, sold out 700 seats. It yeah. really speaks to the necessity of people hearing a story like this. So the next screening, actually, on Friday the 11th, 3 p.m., always at the Vancouver Playhouse, Haida Modern, The Art and Activism of Robert Davidson by Charles Wilkinson. And here is Charles Wilkinson actually going, maybe even going right now for the one-minute pitch. How do you feel about that? Uh, I don't know, man. I'll give it a try. We'll give it a try? Okay, so I'm going to hit that clock, and we have a one-minute pitch. Are you ready? Three, two, one, let's go. Okay, we got a private detective. He is approached by a wealthy woman who wants to investigate her husband who's cheating on her. Okay, this is a drama, all right? He, uh, go ahead, he goes ahead, he investigates the guy. It turns out the guy's like a famous person. He's, he's involved in government. He photographs the guy with a young woman. He, the photographs somehow, not, he doesn't give them, he gives them to the wife, but they, they find their way into the paper. It ruins the guy's life. Right, he turns up dead, right? Yeah, exactly. So next day, a strange woman's in his office, and she goes, do you know me? And he goes, no, she's beautiful. It turns out that's the real wife. The one who hired him wasn't a wife. It was a hit job on the guy. No. Exactly, yes. Okay, so there's a, there's a, a, a dam proposal that, that's going on, and the whole thing revolves around whether the dam is going to get built or not. Like Site C up in the north, right? The dam is completely unnecessary, like Site C. So all of this has happened to try and discredit this guy who is against the dam. And so it becomes a love story between the private eye and the good-looking woman, right? And the corrupt forces that are building Site C. <laughs> wow, look at that pitch. Woo, that was quite something. You know, I always force myself to never react when the pitch is happening. Yeah. When, you deliver the, <laughs> when you deliver the change, it's like, oh my goodness. Okay, so did you recognize the story? Whoa, no, no, I didn't. It's basically Chinatown. Oh my goodness! Get out of here, Charles! Get out of here, Charles! It's Chinatown. Oh my goodness! Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Get out of here, Charles! Hundred points for you, man! Oh my goodness! Oh wow! This is the first time that happens on the high five for that. Give me that! Give me that! That was that was quite something. Was wow! Yeah. 
Thank you for that, Charles. That was uh, whew, okay. I gotta catch up a little bit on that. Um, <laughs> but it's always uh, it's always so interesting to see how every filmmaker pitches differently and has different ideas around. It. We've had people pitching the, their ideal world. You know, in, oh, yeah. the, in the one minute, yeah. or going from the little, uh, maybe the the, 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 the tiny and, and community f uh, documentary film all the way to the uh, macroscopic blockbuster. Yeah. And um, I'm wondering what's driving people to the different scale and the different tone of the film. In your experience uh, looking at so many different filmmakers, uh, when do you see and what do you see is the common denominator actually of successful filmmakers? Um, well, like, like we've been saying, I think successful filmmakers do it because they have to. Um, I know that there are some very quiet and reflective people who are good filmmakers, but in my experience, the, the guys who are most commonly doing, and women, most commonly doing well, tend to be fairly gregarious. Um, you know, at a dinner table, there's always somebody who tells jokes, and kind of, that's usually the person who probably make a pretty good director. There's that. But um, I think that if you feel something strongly, and if you, I think a love of people and a desire to 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 make them feel somehow something you know i used to say about my dramatic work because you know i wanted to make studio films and i made some f films that i'm very proud of but you know i never got to do you know batman 12 or anything like that <laughs> not, not not that i'd want to do that but i used to say about my work when people would say you know what have you done that i'd recognize rather than saying you know highlander or beachcombers or something like that i'd say okay it's two o'clock in the morning you've been out partying you come home you flop down on the couch you're not tired you've been drinking Drinking, you flip on the TV, you zoom around the channels, there's nothing on, you land on something that looks kind of okay, you stay with it and you go, wow, this isn't bad. That was what I did. That was my movie. Mm. And you know what? I'm going to get you through from 2 o'clock in the morning to 4 o'clock in the morning. I figured that's my job and I'm proud of it. Wow! Holy moly! We got a lot of he a lot of stories right here. We got a lot of juice going on here. <laughs> Let me ask you: What about the process of actually stepping into storytelling and filmmaking? Was it more of a fade, or you just knew it? No, I did. To be honest, I jumped in and I was completely unprepared. So my first few films were, you know, pretty messy. Um, they, you know, I remember uh, the 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 Vancouver Sun review for uh, for my very first feature movie, which is a story in and of itself, because it was kind of a stolen feature movie. Nobody knew I was. <laughs> making it um which is a yeah like i say a story but the the vancouver sun review was heart by itself is not enough and you know it stung at the time but it also really helped me because it's true you can have the best heart imaginable but you also need some skill and it's taken me years to develop even the small amount of skill that i have now it's a complex business there's a reason why all the academy awards go to old guys it takes a long time mm, wow that's a that's a mean one right there do you think reviewers actually have the the right to be that mean <laughs> well let me tell you what i i didn't mean it to sound mean at all uh, and i didn't mean to sound like i was getting down on myself either but um and, and i'm sorry if it did but um what i think is a real big failing in the way that we make movies here and this is something useful is that it's always the blind leading the blind like when when, when somebody says oh i'm going to make a movie it's you and your 10 best friends and none of you have ever made a movie before or maybe you've made one movie they don't do it like that in hollywood the way they do it is every craft position is filled with somebody who's gone a thousand times and they're really good at what they do and then the director maybe is first time or, or you know the screenwriters maybe first time so I, I wish in Canada that we had a policy of encouraging young filmmakers to work with older filmmakers who've been around the block a bunch of times because every old filmmaker that I know including myself we know how to fail 
<laughs> we're real good at that, right? We, we, we know what the warning signs of impending doom are. And it would be so easy for, for a, a dozen of the people that I know, I could name them right at the top of my head, to say, hey, this is a great idea for a movie, but you know what you're doing with that little plot point there? That's going to piss off your audience. Don't do that, you know, or I get where you're going, but well, maybe try this. You know, we should be calling on the experience because we've got a lot of experience now, right? And we could, and we still could. Of course we can. Mm, right? the, and that's where the process of mentoring comes to yeah, place. Absolutely, huh? yeah. Wow, that's uh, very precious and very valuable. And that's the way society works, right? It that's should, the way yeah. people get to grow and, and uh, even get to have the, the, the opportunity to really learn from a clean source. Yeah. Many times with the internet out there, there are so many yeah. bad sources yeah, of information yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. knowledge. Uh, on the other hand, I remember learning the first tutorials, you know, of how a camera works oh, yeah, and photography. Just, absolutely. So interesting to, to find the difference in there and where to say no to information and develop yeah. that critical mindset. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I know I was criticized when I went to the, the film workshop at Simon Fraser for being too interested in the technical. They said, hey, man, this isn't a technical school. Go to, go to BCIT if you want that, <laughs> right? But I thought, no, no, it's critical to learn how to use the gear. And I still feel very, very passionate about that. I remember I was doing a picture here. It was quite a large picture with Michael Bean, the the uh, Terminator, you know that guy, uh, John Connors, um, and, and it was a big action movie with guns and explosions and stuff. And th there was a scene where uh, Michael had broken into somebody's apartment, and he had to the, the bad guy came home, and he had to go out on the balcony. And you know that thing where you you shuffle along the sill, you know, from one balcony to another, and it's really oh, is he going to fall off and stuff? And I said to the producer, that is such bullshit. Like we've seen that a million times before. And I said, where are we going to shoot it? And he said, well, I think we. We can get the Vancouver Hotel, you know, the one down here with the big mm -hmm. uh, copper roof. I said, cool, why don't we throw them off the roof? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, let me just work on this. I went away. <laughs> I came back with, because uh, I spent a half a day at the Vancouver Hotel. I came back with storyboards and, and designs for all of the equipment that we would need. That was actually the, the female wow. protagonist. To get her to, to fall off the roof and slide all the way down that roof. And then at the last minute, grab a hold of one of those window washing things and go all the way to the ground, like a thousand feet. No. Yeah, and the producer said, there's no way we're going to do this. It's impossible. It's going to cost $100,000 to do this stunt. I said, no, here's the, here's the the mount the camera mounts these are the shots one after the other we can do this in like one evening let's do it no and you know, way and you know he cut me off halfway through my spiel he was a good producer and he said yeah yeah okay hang on Charles he picked up his phone and he started calling the stunt guys and that's the 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 one stunt that is that is the 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 trailer for the movie Wow. It, it's awesome. Oh, it's great. Incredible. But that's because I learned how to weld. I know how to weld. You know, I know how to build stuff. And, and, and I know what the grips do. I know what the gaffers do. I know how lighting works. I know how costumes work. I know how to build dummies. I know how to do stunts and stuff. It, it, James Cameron does the same thing. James Cameron knows the name of all the squibs that go off on all of the bullet shots in all of his films. Um, so I think it's not everybody has to be technical. But for me, coming to this point now where I can, I, I, I'm called upon to do most of these, these craft myself or, 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 or for Tina to do them, it's really great to learn that stuff. And also, even if you don't do it yourself, to be able to direct competently, you know, to say, I want this. You don't want the crew rolling their eyes going, man, that's impossible. Doesn't this guy know anything? <laughs> right? You want to be knowledgeable about your work. So, 
Plus, I don't know, I'm a techno-freak, I love this stuff. Wow, Charles, this is a great piece of advice, and I really want to add the trailer of the film in the description of the podcast as well on uh, roomtonepodcast.com. I think people would really enjoy to watch that and connect it with the story you just Dude, told. Yeah, and I'd love to see your passion for tech. Even earlier that we were here at the station uh, with Hector, you took a look around with the compressor and everything needed at the station. That told a lot about you, and, and, and that's impressive. And I actually want to go for a shout-out to Hector, to Kimi, to Debbie, to Brian, to everybody who makes Cop Radio happen, because there's a lot of love that makes... This happen and these conversations happen and it's such a pleasure to be here and uh, with that being said i think it's our time to transition to the proust questionnaire go for it we're gonna go for these deep questions and make it happen just five okay, okay. five randomly we're gonna make it happen are you ready i'm ready three two one what is your current state of mind i'm very happy Ooh. I'm, I'm, i feel i feel really fulfilled i mean we've just finished a movie and it looks like it's gonna be well received so i feel great isn't that beautiful? You got that, that nice energy coming out and it's going straight through the microphone and reaching to the people out there. I love it. I love it. Second question of the Proust questionnaire. Mm. If you were to die and come back as a person or a thing, what would it be? I think my granddaughter. One of my granddaughters. I have two. Wow. Yeah. High five. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The world that they're facing, I mean, they're facing incredible challenges, but it's going to be so interesting. You know, I mean, we've gone through a period of relative vanilla, like boomers, because I am a boomer. We've just had the world thrown at us. We just have uh, so much riches. And it's in, in some ways, it's been kind of boring, right? <laughs> because it's been so easy for so many people. You know, just all this on-credit buying. You have big houses, big cars, fly all over the world. You know, anything's possible. But for the, the next gen, that's not going to happen. It's, you're going to have to scramble and it's going to be really interesting. I wish we hadn't done this. I really do. Hmm. Wow, these answers. These are 100 points question, uh, <laughs> answers right here, Charles. That's impressive. Um, let me take you to the third question of the Proust questionnaire. Wow, this is really interesting to me from your point of view. Sure. Who are your heroes in real life? Robert Davidson is one of my heroes. Mm. My father is one of my heroes. Ooh. Ken Boone in, in Peace River, the principal activist who's fighting against the Site C uh, business, is one of my heroes. Guja uh, on the Haida Nation is one of my heroes. Wow. Yeah. There seems to be a lot there, a lot of depth again. Yeah. Charles, this is great. Oh, this conversation is, is, is powerful. Yeah, it's powerful. And the beautiful thing about this is that someone out there could just pick one thing about this conversation, just leave one little thing that could make a difference in the way they think or in the way they go through the day. And uh, this speaks to the power of having eye-to-eye -eye conversations like this. Incredible. Yeah. I'd be satisfied if it just got somebody through the, through the hour, you know? Yeah. So they don't feel horrible <laughs> at the end of it. <laughs> I love it. Fourth question of the Proust questionnaire. With which historical figure do you most identify with? Gee, that's a tough one. It's tough, eh? Yeah. Let me just think for a minute. Yeah, take a moment, take a moment. Uh, I think maybe Louis Riel. Louis Riel was a revolutionary Métis man on the prairies in Canada who led the Riel re Rebellion mm. against the forces of oppression and capitalism, and he was hunted down and murdered. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so I guess him, I don't know. Wow, I, I, I thank you for the education over here. I much appreciate it, for sure. He was a Canadian hero, and, and I mean, he had some warts, everybody does, but um, uh, he was something. Mm-hmm, wonderful. And that leads to the fifth question of the Proust questionnaire for today. What do you consider your greatest achievement? Um, my family. Mm. You know, I'll, t I'll tell you something. Um, and uh, uh, you know, people say, "Oh, gee, you know, you made a movie. It's so great." You know, or you've made a bunch of movies, and it's true. And I'm just so thankful. I'm so thankful. Like it's just been a blessed 
thing. But um, when you make a movie, you know, and you want to make a movie so bad. Oh God, if only I could make a movie. But what I've found is that you make a movie, and two years later, most people have forgotten that. Mm. They, a few little things might stick with them, but most people have forgotten. When you have a child, two years later, that child is like infinitely better and more interesting. You know, when you have a relationship with a wonderful person, two years later, if you're if you're doing it right, it's just grown into this great, great thing. So it's not that movies aren't important, and of course that they're very, very important, right? But it's just that they're not as important as the as the loves of your life. And I know lots of guys who are sitting alone in in Hollywood Hills with a shelf full of statues, and they're alone, and they wish they weren't. And so you got to keep that in perspective. It's not a dog-eat-dog thing, and if you find that it is, then do something else. Because what you value at the end of the day, I think what most people value is being surrounded by, by people who, who love them for all their faults. Mm, wow, Charles. Beautiful conversations <laughs> here on air. I'm loving it. I'm you're, loving it. You're and a nice guy to talk to. You, know it's, that? Uh, it's, you should be a shrink. You know it, that, man? <laughs> <laughs> I just find that uh, uh, you know, when, you, when you give people the chance to speak, they will get... The, the, they will speak their hearts and there's so much in there it's really impressive and I got a lot out of this one hour believe it or not it's been one hour oh my just God, chatting and, uh, there is so much we went so deep and it speaks even to the depth of your film and I'm so curious uh, I really again want to go for one last shout out to your film Hide a Modern uh, because uh, you know on uh, Friday the 11th uh, it's going to be another great day on 3pm uh, everybody go check that film out please because Charles got so much depth and I'm sure that you're going to find that depth and that uh, beautiful uh, energy in the film as well. So, Hyder Modern, The Art and Activism of Robert Davidson. Everybody, come on, go out there. Viff is going. Vancouver International Film Festival is happening right now. Go and enjoy this beautiful thing that Vancouver is bringing to us. And lots of other films. There's amazing films out there. Go see them, man. It's going to kill you. They're so great. Mm, so lucky. We're so lucky with Vancouver. Viff is awesome. Yeah. So lucky. One last question before we wrap everything up. Yep. What's the situation, what's the moment or the memory that you've had in the production phase of Hyder Modern? the most represents the values of the film? Um, I think my favorite moment, really, and I've said this a number of times, is I walked into Robert's studio one morning, and he's so focused on his work. I mean, he does the most precise work. And I said, good morning, Robert, how are you? And he said, you only get two questions today. Because I was just bugging him. I know I was. I said, oh, no, is that one of them? And he said, yeah, and that's the, that's the second one. Oh, <laughs> and I went. Oh no! What am I going to do? That? <laughs> no, I have so I, I can't answer. There's just so many wonderful, wonderful memories. The people. I mean, I got to meet some of the coolest people I've ever met in my life. We traveled to Alaska, to New York City, to San Francisco, to Los Angeles, to Austin, Texas, uh, to Haida Gwaii. I mean, it's just been. Um, you know, in a tiny little camper that was just awful because it rained and rained and rained. But no, it's been a, a trip and the most genuine people that you could possibly meet. Mm. So it's, it's been a really wonderful experience making it. Wonderful. I'm so looking forward to that event. Uh, Charles, it's been a pleasure to have you here. It's a real pleasure. Uh, Brunt on the radio show is so happy and uh, I can't wait to re-listen to this episode and take sure. some more notes. It's been amazing. Uh, this being said, any last shout out? Um, yeah, I want to give a shout out to Co-op Radio. I think that it seems kind of crazy because people who are listening to me are listening to Co-op Radio. Mm. But tell your friends because Co-op is awesome. It certainly is on my speed dial. And, and, and it's just no agenda. This is a cool radio station. And I'm shouting out to what you do. This is an awesome thing. And we're so lucky in Vancouver to have you. So 
Keep it wow, going, so much love in this room right now. So much love. Whether we shoot through the mics, and it's all about love. We know that love, love, love. And uh, this being said, much more love actually from the song that wraps this whole episode up. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Charles. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you, Helen, for hooking us up. It's been amazing. Cop Radio, guys, we love you all. Everybody, enjoy. This is Elian Elias with Oprato. Pato vinha cantando alegremente Quem, quando o marreco sorridente pediu Para entrar também no samba, no samba, no samba O canso gostou da dupla e também Quem, 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 olhou pro cisne e disse assim Vem, vem, que o quarteto ficará bem Muito bom, muito bem Na beira da lagoa Foram ensaiar para começar o tico-tico no fubá A voz do pato era mesmo um desacato Jogo de cena com um canso era mato Mas eu gostei do final quando caíram na água E saiu no boca Vinha cantando alegremente Quen, quando um marreco sorridente pediu Para entrar também no samba, no samba, no samba O canso gostou da dupla e fez também Quen, quen, olhou pro cisne e disse assim Vem, vem, que o quarteto ficará bem Muito bom, muito bem Na beira da lagoa foram sair para começar O tico-tico no fubá o pato era mesmo um desacato Jogo de cena com um ganso era mato Mas eu gostei do final quando...